Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for, this could be Sunday, could be Wednesday, could be Friday. Just, you know, was after all, it's your podcast. 2019 rolls on and the Kickstarter train has well and truly left the station. And along the way, we have... Tuesday last week was absolutely crazy for Kickstarters. But um, there has been um, there has been one shining light um, in the fog of Kickstarter that's been, you know, bringing in gamers to safety and everything like that. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. It doesn't matter. However, um, you know Carla from Weird Giraffe Games, and she was talking last time about her new venture called Galactic Raptor Games. Well, she got in contact with me um, a couple of weeks ago because there's a game on Kickstarter right now, which is Galactic Raptor's first game. It's a game called Animal Kingdoms. It's not designed by her, and it's not designed by Dan, who she's working alongside on Galactic Raptor. It's designed by Stephen Aramini. Stephen Aramini is joining us to have a little chat about Animal King, the, the fully funded um um, animal kingdoms might I add as well so hello to you Stephen how are you sir hello sir thank you for having me it's 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 good it's good to it's good to hear you without a cough <laughs> <laughs> um let's I mean I mean thank you you know first of all for coming on I know this is probably um the worst time within a campaign that you could be possibly kind of spending time kind of chatting to idiotic Scotsman like myself but um, um, <laughs> you know at, at the t- time of recording there is only like about uh, five days to go in the campaign but you have almost hit the magical um, $30,000 out of a funding goal of only $9,000 so um, so what's mood like in camp at the moment how are you how are you feeling about all this? Good. Yeah. I think the timing's perfect actually. Cause I think, uh, with, you know, Kickstarters, that final 48, uh, hour spike, um, I think it's, uh, going to see some, some more stretch goals and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of a, a cool time if people haven't heard of it to check it out, because like you said, it's fully funded yeah. and it's, uh, kind of ripping through some pretty fun stretch goals. And, uh, most of the stretch goals are like component, uh, quality upgrades yeah, and stuff yeah. but you know it's kind of nice to have that in the rearview mirror of not having to sweat whether or not it will fund and just kind of watching it grow now mm-hmm. so so it's been awesome that's good that's good um the game itself i mean animal kingdoms isn't something that's just you know come out of nowhere i mean it's for those in the know in the community um it won a it won a kind of a cardboard edison award um, I mean, when when did you win that kind of? When did you win the award, and how long ago was that? So that that award they do once a year, and um, I won it last year. It was around March, I think, was or March or April when they announced it, and that was like almost immediately after they announced that um, award. I had was in talks with Dan and Carla, mm-hmm. and and we ended up. Uh, you know, I ended up signing with those guys. Like, I I want to say within within the month after after that contest. Was it kind of? I mean, was it kind of strange? Kind of, it must have been strange. Kind of winning the award in the first place. I mean, was that a really really pleasant surprise? Um, knowing or, or did you did you have a kind of an idea 
that Animal Kingdoms was gonna, you know, was was gonna get noticed at the time when you, you know, when you put it there. No, I mean it's it's. I, I want to say there were almost three hundred entries, so I, you know, I think I didn't feel like I had <laughs> a great shot with those kinds of odds and. But uh, when it became a finalist, then, you know, there, uh, it got whittled down to, I think, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 20 games. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, it was just really exciting to just watch, you know, the the posts and stuff from all the different judges and stuff. And you never really know, but uh, uh, I guess it, I guess it uh, worked out. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was unexpected, but, um, but a relief kind of a fun journey throughout has it been in was it been in development for some time the animal kingdom probably before the cardboard edison award probably about i don't know like maybe six to nine months before that so not a not a ton of time um and it uh sort of started that year before uh and it uh it actually was not an animal theme at all it was a deep sea fishing game (laughs) and Yeah. Um, so I think I was looking at uh, maybe like fleet and kind of thinking, oh, that was kind of a cool theme. What if I tried to put put a spin on that? And so the idea was you instead of going to kingdoms, you're going to these different seas and trying to fish out the, the fish and stuff and bring them back uh, to market and sell them. But um, yeah, that, that early version had a, a market in it. And so you would you would adjust the market and stuff. And when I got rid of the market aspect, cause it was just kind of getting in the way of the gameplay, then the deep sea fishing thing didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And so I ended up switching it to the kingdoms and uh, the animal, the, the idea of just making them animals was really just to make it more colorful. And, yeah. and I think just a little, little different than just your typical knights and um, you know, sort of the medieval typical medieval game. Yeah, yeah. Was it one of? I mean, have you had quite a few games in the kind of the Aramini portfolio? Is this one that you just went? Ah, I'll just put this one in. Or I mean, have you have you have you got a couple of designs kind of in the note in the notepad? I guess. Oh yeah, always. I'm always like tinkering. Yeah. So yeah, I have I have just different ones in different states. So um, it's kind of how I how I like to design is to mm-hmm. have different different games in sort of different states of completion. Some are just like super raw state and some are signed and we're just kind of finessing and others are, you know, kind of in that middle, middle ground. But uh, that's, you know, because this isn't my job to design this. I just do this on the side and, you know, evenings and and weekends. So I have to enjoy what I'm doing. And I think by breaking it up and not being fo- too focused on just one game 100% of the time. Yeah. I think it keeps me just kind of motivated and energized when I do dive into whatever game I'm taking on. Have you been designing long? I mean, has this been something that you've been doing since you kind of got involved in the hobby? Um, or has it been something that you've kind of slowly found yourself kind of slipping into? No, I, I kind of I, – I went into the hobby sort of – uh, <laughs> with the tail wagging the dog, I guess you could say, because I started designing before I really even knew the hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just had an idea for a game, and I was a non gamer, you would say, and 
Um, my, my day job is advertising. So I'm a creative director and I was working with an art director and we were just like saying, Hey, it'd be really cool to put a, a game together just as an interesting, almost like an art project. So we put a game together called uh, payload, which ended up being renamed as Yardmaster. Oh, right. And that was in, that was in 2013. And then that one, I, uh, ended up signing the next year. And that sort of just got me hooked, obviously, on game design because I had success with that one. Yeah. But that was right right around the time of doing that. That's when I really just discovered – I decided to go to a meetup and 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 go, what is this <laughs> board game hobby? And uh, I probably should know a little more about it since I'm trying to get into it. Yeah. And that's when, you know, it just – blew my mind in terms of like, whoa, there's so much creativity and there's so many game titles that, you know, as a non-hobby gamer, especially like five years ago, when it wasn't even that prevalent in the a lot of the big box stores, it's like you had no idea the hobby was as expansive as it was. So, so yeah, it, I kind of got into design and, and the hobby at the same time and I've just been hooked ever since. Are you, are you one of the people that you do you have quite a substantial collection of games? I mean, when you fell in, did you kind of fall in? Did you kind of fall in deep? Um, did you, you know, have you, is, have you gone, have you got like several shelves <laughs> that you can be proud of and have a, have a shelfie with? Or My my wife would probably tell you I have uh, way too many games, but I feel like I'm pretty restrained, actually. Um I actually typically don't buy a game unless I've already played it right. and really, really enjoy it. Um, there's been some exceptions to that with Kickstarters, but that's primarily, you know, friends of mine who have put Kickstarters out or, or other people, you know, contacts in the industry that yeah. I want to support and I like their games and stuff. But otherwise, I usually try to restrain myself and and wait and play it at a game night. And then if I really like it and say, okay, I, I could see myself playing this a couple of times uh, to justify buying it. So uh, I have a lot of games but i i i'm not in the hundreds category yet have you have you bought any this month so far uh well let's see well for christmas i got a couple of games for christmas oh, right. like i got decrypt i got decrypto oh. and raiders of the north sea i've heard that's very good yeah it's it's if you're into work replacement it's pretty fun um so i got those two I'm trying to think what else. And then uh, I I uh, backed uh, Overworld's game. Overworld Games has another one out right now called uh, New Salem. So I backed that yeah, one. Yeah, so that one, yeah. And uh, I know I know Overworld because they uh, they put out a game of mine called Barker's Row. So oh, okay. I've, I've been a fan of them and following them. And, you know, so those are kind of some of the new ones. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Um, with you... <laughs> I mean, with you kind of running, obviously, the Kickstarter campaign just now, and being involved in the design, have you found that in terms of the community, do you know kind of more designers than actual gamers in terms of kind of like the social circle? Uh, for so, uh, In terms of like social media, for sure, because mm-hmm. like with Twitter, I, I follow pretty much all I use Twitter for is to follow game designers and people that do game design and then 
uh, also publishers and people that just sort of contribute to the community, whether it's podcasting or um, writing articles or whatnot. But so in that regard, I follow a lot of game designers um, locally. Obviously, most of the gamers I work with are not game designers. Yeah, but yeah. Luckily, I I do have like a small circle locally of of game designers that um, you know it. We we usually test each other's stuff because, as you probably know, you don't want to go to a game night and play a a broken, <laughs> uh, you know, half broken game and stuff, and have that be your game night. So we kind of get together as game designers because we're all on the same page in terms of hey we're, we're going to play prototypes tonight so uh it's it's nice to have that circle of friends locally that you can kind of go to but yeah are they a bit more brutal with feedback then because they're designers i mean do you have kind of like you'd have moments where you say like okay just bring it on tell me tell me what the worst is and then they tell you what the worst is and you're like you didn't have to Tell me what the worst is. You could have been more, <laughs> you could have been more gentle than that. Thanks very much. And then you turn running off into the night, kind of crying. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Well, my 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 sort of my go to group, which is my friends Danny and Paul and and Joe. Mm-hmm. They can they can be brutal. But I, I won't say brutal because that sounds cruel. But I mean that that they, they will be. Uh, they will not pull punches in terms of if something's not working or whatever. Um, but it's always coming from a good place, you know, in terms of wanting to, you know, get you to a better game. And, and that core group is, I think they're really good at, um, helping me shape a game because mm. there's a lot of, uh, sort of casual play testers, you know, that I think bring a lot to a, a play test, but they, you know, with that core group, I feel like I've got a really good rapport in terms of understanding how to make the game better through their feedback. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's cool having that that core group that I really trust, and uh, especially for those those early tests when you know you're you're afraid to show it to anyone but your mother. <laughs> I probably I wouldn't <laughs> probably do that because you would be going cardboard again, really, in this house. <laughs> what have I told you? You know, she'd be more comfortable if I brought drugs in or something like that. To be perfectly honest, but I mean, she, she's the most brutal, <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, I mean, there is obviously that element of trust because you don't want the worst. I can imagine the worst thing doing is that you're sitting there, having spent like five weeks playtesting a game, but somebody hasn't decided to mention something to you just in case. You know. They don't want to kind of annoy you or hurt your feelings or something. And then you take it to a new group, and then somebody just comes along and just breaks <laughs> the entire game within kind of like the first couple of moves. And you're just like, "Guys, why didn't you tell me?" It's like, "Well, you know, Stephen, you're a nice guy, and you know, we didn't want to, <laughs> we didn't want to hurt your feelings, and you know, that kind of that kind of thing." Was it um, when say like Carl and Dan got involved in Animal Kingdoms? Was that a new experience in terms of kind of like the feedback and the development? I mean, obviously, you won the Cardboard Edison Award, but when they then they got their um, when they got their experience hands into it, did they then want to tinker with Animal Kingdoms, or were they quite happy with with where you were with the game at that point? Uh, they were. I- they were pretty happy with the core mechanics right. and sort of the core game gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they signed it because 
you know, they, they both have their own companies. Dan has Letterman Games, Carla has Weird Giraffe Games. And so that's kind of their own passion projects. And so with Galactic Raptor, I think they wanted to sign something that they felt was pretty set in terms of the core mechanics and they could just sort of work on refining it. So that's what they did. And, and yeah, because they're both designers themselves, it was a really good process because I think we were able to, you know, kind of approach it from the same wavelength of Mm -hmm. wanting the best thing for the game. And, you know, they did, they had some ideas to just bring, I think a little more streamlining to it and also make it more thematic and have more of that table presence. Um, Because originally the game was just a card game and it was like, very abstract feeling. And so they added, uh, of course, like this amazing artwork that brought it to life. But, um, you know, they also introduced the, the concept of a, of a board game or of a board. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think just having that board just made it so much more accessible in terms of understanding that you're going for these kingdoms and it's a five sided board. And so there's five kingdoms and, uh, a big part of the game is uh, playing off of your left and right kingdom. So it just made a lot more sense in terms of gameplay to, to, to bring it into that, into that uh, sort of what, I don't know what I'd call uh, that updated version of the game. Mm-hmm. Was it not a board before then? Were you just playing with the, with the cards before? Was that how it was working? Yeah, it was just a big deck of cards, and right. uh, I think I that was just because I was trying to make something, I guess, more more as compact and few yeah. components as possible. But yeah, they they basically were like, "Hey, this is a great game that ha- we love the mechanics, but we mm-hmm. we really want to bring out uh, a little bit more of a game experience with it." So that was great. Okay, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, so they were able to kind of bring something to that. I guess put something extra on the table that you were like, "Okay, I was." Not, it's not a case you were going in a different direction. It was a case that we were actually able to maybe open your eyes to the actual possibilities, I guess, with them having the kind of the experience and pushing it kind of commercially out. They, were, they weren't afraid maybe to expand on it a bit, I guess, which was, which was kind of cool. Did you, did, you, did you like the changes that they made then? Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably my most beautiful game, really. <laughs> Um, in terms of just how it looks and, and when you put it on the table, uh, it's just, it grabs your attention. And I think that just the design decisions they've made and the art decision, art direction decisions they've made. Um, and we talked about, you know, adding a few things. We did tweak a few things. Um, we, we definitely streamlined, uh, the scoring, for example, mm-hmm. and just, you know, we explored a couple of things, but I think at, at the end of the day, it was just, it was just some minor tinkering and, and more just giving a lot of love to making it, uh, just feel more like a, a finished polished game. So it was, it was all, uh, been a, it's been a really great experience. And did the artwork change quite a bit then? I mean, cause the artwork's stunning. I mean, it's very, very striking indeed. Uh, well, the original, ha- I just used, you know, like just stock animal images and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I really had no idea what they were going to do stylistically. And um, so they found Katie Grierson who did the art and they ended up going in a direction that was more like Art Nouveau. And um, 
really stuck with like these animals that, you know, looked like animals, but then they sort of had a little bit of humanistic qualities in terms of having like they're wearing jewelry or they're wearing, you know, uh, feather headdresses and stuff. And just some things to kind of make them feel more regal and make them feel not totally anthropomorphic, but like, um, you know, just a little hint of like, these are, these are animals battling for kingdoms. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I thought the, the artwork to me is, is, you know, I couldn't ask for a better style. And, and it wasn't a style I was really thinking, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest. I guess I kind of just, I wasn't really getting hung up on the, the style. That's why I was like, I'm just going to let <laughs> well, the, the, public, the publishers figure that out. Exactly. Well, it must be one of these things you get, right, okay, design a game. Okay, now what? It's like, I don't know. Put it to Carbo Edison. Okay, well, I won that. Now what? I don't know. Get it signed. <laughs> okay, well, I got it signed. Now what? I, I don't know. Just, you know do the extra additions that they want to get done. Okay. Now what? They've, well, they've done that. Now what? I've, I've Art, maybe? Okay. It was <laughs> that kind of pleasant surprise where they put it in front of you and they went, right, okay. It's not that... <laughs> it's not that we've got you changed your baby. It's just that we've given it a nice, pretty hat to wear instead. Because it must have been... <laughs> Beautiful when they were sending over the files to you and saying, "Okay, well, this is this is the stuff that Katie's done for this, but this is the stuff that they've done for like the, you know, you've got the the red the red raccoon in there," and I'm just like, "Oh, I want one." Um, but that must have been like a little bit of a moment there when there was somebody saying, "Like, we're going to take the game that you've got and look what we're doing to to make it even more beautiful." Yeah, totally, and I I think for me. I, I guess I've recognized that's not my strong suit. I just, I like to design the game and, mm -hmm. um, and then just leave it in the hands of experts to say, okay, here's how we're going to make it a beautiful game. Mm -hmm. And here's how it's going to, we're going to help it turn into a marketable game. And then all, of course, all the work and efforts uh, it takes to, you know, bring it to Kickstarter and then ultimately get it into distribution and uh, all those things that are way beyond my, what I want to do or know how to do. So it's, it's super nice to just be able to just say, I'm going to, I'm just going to concentrate on designing this game. And luckily the, the dominoes all sort of fell into place that I was able to just do that and concentrate on that. And then they just picked it up and, ran it ran it home to the finish line this is uh my seventh kickstarter Whoa. so i've worked i've worked with actually i worked with dan at letterman games before oh, right. uh, okay. on a game called groves so that's how i knew dan is i mm. was sort of had the in with dan because we were co-designers for groves all right okay and um yeah but i've done a couple other kickstarters through some other all the all the companies have been sort of like carla and dan where they're mm -hmm. all um sort of one one person wonders and uh, just trying to do more indie indie design. So through one channel or another, I've been lucky enough to hook up with um, quite a few uh, small publishers. And, and, you know, usually when they're small publishers, they, they kind of have to go through Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, so, so pretty much all my projects have gone through, through all right, Kickstarter. Okay, okay. Does that mean in terms of like your day-to-day -day job, you know, your kind of advertising, kind of marketing expertise 
has that kind of helped with then kind of running those projects that you've been able to kind of rather than do the thing where it says well okay I'm the designer it means I've got to go and maybe do a couple of podcasts do like a live there you know a live stream you know during the Kickstarter campaign were you able to kind of go in with some professional advice kind of say well maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that to help with kind of like the marketing spreading the word creating the noise kind of thing I would say all the pub all the publishers have been really great in terms of collaboration stuff, but I will say I've kind of kept my nose out of the Kickstarter stuff. I mean, obviously, if there's something I would say I was concerned about, I would voice it. Uh-huh. And they would listen to those kinds of things. But in terms of Kickstarter is so much its own animal. It's like so separate, especially from the marketing I do because, uh, you know, I'm in Reno, which is like – uh, the majority of what I do is like uh, gaming related, not not board gaming, but like uh, gambling. Oh, right, uh, casino, okay. Okay. Cas- casino industry. So I, that's a lot of the the clients we have. So it's just like it's so worlds worlds apart from like the the tabletop game industry. <laughs> and you, and, don't, you don't um, want to so, be yeah. you don't want to be like this. Um, take a gamble. Back our project. <laughs> Luck is luck is on your side. Pick a le- pick a pledge level. You can either pick <laughs> the red pledge level or the black pledge level. And at the end of the campaign, one of the pledge levels will get the game, <laughs> and the other one won't. You get nothing. <laughs> get nothing. And we, and we just keep all your money. <laughs> you just we, get, we could try that. See how it goes. Send them a backers out to update. Said sorry, house wins. <laughs> I reckon you're right. I I think, you know, we're having it too, making it too easy on these Kickstarter backers. You know, all they do is they just, they they give us, they give us money and then they sit and wait. I think it's about time we made it challenging. I think they're getting it far too easy. (laughs) You know, I think we should. I I like it. You can make the first ever uh, gambling Kickstarter where you may get something awesome or you may just get nothing. You get like an empty box full of tears. <laughs> I, do you know what? I reckon folk would back that as well. If you said there's a 50% <laughs> chance you're going to get something, and then there's a 50% chance you're going to get nothing, and we're going to be co-sponsored by Ninja Division. <laughs> um, <laughs> oops. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be, um, yeah. I, I think that has to be something I have to have a think about. And then I need to, <laughs> and then I need to completely... Completely kind of disregard that. Um, because folk could be listening and going, he's not done that with his own Kickstarter, so he's not going to send out boxes of <laughs> No, no I, I'm definitely um, not thinking about that at all. But um, when, I mean, when you're putting it out to Kickstarter, was it strange? Because uh, obviously um, Carla's known for, she's done a couple of projects now, and obviously Dan's known for doing his projects as well. Was it weird at coming under kind of like the Galactic Raptor name itself? Because Galactic Raptor's obviously, it's a relatively, on the Kickstarter landscape, would be seen as a relatively new new kind of um, company to deal with. I mean, if you go, normally what, normally what I would do is if I see somebody new on the horizon, I first of all I go into their profile and I check the number of campaigns that they've backed and also the number that they've created. 
So is it a bit different? Obviously, Carl and Dan would able to say to you, look, we've done all these projects in the past, but this again itself was going to be a, a kind of a, a new venture. Galactic Raptor games didn't seem to have, obviously, the history, history around it. So it's kind of relying on the previous goodwill of what kind of Carla and Dan created. Did that, did that concern you at all in any way, shape or form? No, actually, I was I was pretty comfortable with it just because um, Carla, I think, it, well, how should I say, both Carla and Dan, to me, have uh, really good reputations mm-hmm. in terms of coming through, using quality uh, products and caring about their designs and, and the final products. So I, I am a follower. I had not worked with Carla, but I follow her on Twitter and mm-hmm. I was familiar with uh, a lot of the games that she had put out. And I knew Dan, of course, cause I'd worked with him firsthand. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. there was, there was just like this comfort factor that I didn't really, it honestly, it never entered my mind. Like, Oh, this is a first time company. I was more like excited that it was a first time company because mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, wow. They, these two uh, great people are sort of combining forces, and they want to both, you know, put their their expertise together to put it together. And so, to me, it was kind of like I was getting two companies in one, and, yeah. and it was kind of exciting to just also have them go. This is gonna. We want this to be the first game in the lineup, and we're gonna throw all our efforts into to this game because there's nothing else in the pipeline for Galactic Raptor. So, so yeah, for me, it was just like I don't know if that was. Uh, I wasn't. Maybe I'm should have uh, <laughs> been more concerned, <laughs> but uh, no, it all work, it's all working out. So I don't. So know. it's all good. I know that Carla's so. I mean, I know that Carla's so passionate about it. I know that she's. She kind of really, really cares. I don't. I've I've not had many dealings with kind of Dan at all. But I know you know because I'm on the opposite side to you. It's like I know Carla's very, very passionate. She can she can she cares extremely deeply about the kind of the quality of the product that she's putting out there and making sure she's always communicating with the backers and everything like that. Which is one of the reasons when she contacted me and said, you know, Stephen, you know. Stephen's working with us on this game that's going to go to Kickstarter. What is it? You know, well, you saw the email. I just said, yeah, no problem at all. Just, you know, it was, it was, there wasn't even a thought behind it. I just was straight in and said, okay, if you're doing something new, I will kind of support you kind of where I can because that's, because I know that Carla's not one of these people that isn't, you know, she's genuine to, to really committed to kind of putting out some, some really, really good games. So it was a, it was a no brainer as far as I was concerned. Still, I mean, even with your Kickstarter experience yourself, were you surprised at how quickly this game got funded? Because it, you know, it funded relatively quickly after the kind of the launch window. Uh, yeah, you never know. Obviously, with Kickstarter, it could go really good or really bad. And I think the biggest concern, as you as you were sort of commenting on uh, the big, when January hit, there were like so many Kickstarters that yeah. were hitting right in that same week. And a lot of them were like really big, uh, either an expansion to like Western legends or uh, there was like that sequel to uh, what is it? Is it called Suro? Yes. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Suro yeah, 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 that yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah. And then like a big War of the Worlds game came out. And then, uh, you know, there there were just like uh, a ton of like Kickstarters that were like really high profile uh, Kickstarters that, you know, 
there's only so much, there are only so many backers out there yeah. that are willing to throw their money at uh, games, especially all at the same time. So yeah, there's, there's a, definitely that moment of like, oh man, I hope ours can cut through that clutter. But mm-hmm. I do think that the, the artwork I felt really confident that it would at least get a lot of people looking at it because just because it's so beautiful. And, um, you know, I was hopeful that they would then, uh, learn a little more about the game. And, and I, I think it is a pretty, uh, accessible game. It's sort of like this family weight, like anybody can, can play it, but there's still some strategy for, you know, both non-gamers will enjoy it, but hobby gamers, I think would enjoy it. So I think that sort of, cast a wider net than a, a more uh, maybe niche game would. So so I, I did feel pretty good about at least it having a sort of that gameplay style that I thought would attract a wider audience. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, for myself, I think one of the, 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 the most attractive things about it, as well as the artwork, is is the kind of the price point as well. In my in my view, Kickstarter had for a while or seemed to be edging towards being quite ridiculous in terms of the prices. And there was a big difference between putting down $79 on a game and putting down like $129 on a game, which seems to have been the way that you know things are going. I mean, obviously it's the beginning of the year, so we'll see what else kind of behemoths and monsters come out there. But that seems to be these, these bigger guys. There has been some issues with fulfillment and people kind of getting their games on these kind of monster games so you know one of the things is like you know the entry level for animal kingdoms it's like 29 bucks yeah and that includes shipping in the u.s i know i think it's a little bit i don't remember how much more it is uh, for other countries and stuff yeah the price point was yeah yeah the price point was like you said it's it's uh, an easier it's an easier ask than a two hundred dollar minis game. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I mean, but even the kind of the deluxe version was only forty five bucks, <clears throat> which again was kind of like pretty much, you know, it wasn't. A, again, it's not a huge ask compared to that's what normal, you know, an average price of a game isn't even forty five bucks nowadays. I don't think you could quite, you can't easily pick up a copy of Scythe or. You know any of the kind of the the kind of the popular games for kind of anywhere kind of near that price, so it's a, a kind of a very very kind of easy way. I mean, again, do you think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of done so well? Is that twenty nine bucks compared to like a hundred bucks is just for a lot of people, it's just like well, it's a no brainer. I would spend this on, you know, if I was buying myself a kind of a um, a takeout meal, for instance, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know that. I mean, I'd be expected to pay round about that anyway. So, I mean, for that to get a board game instead, that's you know, it's a pretty easy kind of ask. Yeah, definitely. I think as hobbies go, I think it's a pretty affordable hobby. You know, mm. so I think I I always feel like if I compare it to like going to a movie, you know, my if I go to a movie with my wife and. Let's say you buy popcorn or whatever, you know, that's, that's a game and, and, you know, that's a one-time experience. And I feel like, I feel like with the games, I always feel like I get their value. Even if you only end up getting it to the table a couple of times, I just feel like it's a great entertainment value. So, um, and and like, uh, another game like last year, 
uh, I had a game kickstart uh, called Sprawlopolis, which mm. is uh, from a company called Button Shy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a Button Shy, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, so they just do these little 18 cards uh, wallet games. And for them, you know, it's it's again, it's that I think their games are only $10 on Kickstarter. So it's it's one of those games that, like you said, it, it just becomes really easy to just be like, oh, if that looks interesting, us, oh, you know, it's ten bucks. Exactly, it's like two cups of two two cups of coffee. Yeah, and and I and I feel like at least for me personally, I just get so much more enjoyment out of out of playing a game. Um, so to to me, it's like yeah, it's a great investment, and the fact that they were able to keep the price point really low like that, I think is definitely. I I think it has attracted and made a few people. Pull pull the trigger when they they might not have if it was you know fifteen even ten fifteen dollars more than it was yeah yeah I'm wondering if that's down to kind of like again you know the relationships that Carla and Dan have with kind of like the manufacturers and shipping companies and everything like that because I guess to be able to just phone them up and say hi it's me again can we you know can what are you able to do if we if we get this number of units kind of printed so they must you know they must have a little bit of kind of obviously leverage with the the kind of the experience that they have. Um, in terms of the gameplay, do you want to give us the kind of the quick kind of, I guess, kind of synopsis about, you know, what's the game and kind of a quick rundown of how you play it just for people who haven't looked at the campaign yet? Yeah, sure. So the the board is uh, a five-sided board and it's made up of five different kingdoms. Uh, each player has a handful of cards and these are your, your animal cards. And those are made up of a, uh, a suit, so a different type of animal and a rank uh, value between one and eight. And so basically at the beginning of each round, uh, you're going to pl- place out what are called decrees, which are these placement rules. They're almost like rummy style placement rules. Some may be you have to create a sequence from one to eight mm-hmm. in order to play to this kingdom. And others might be based on certain animals. Others play off of your left and right kingdom, depending on what's what's been played there. So you sort of have to analyze the state of the board and manage your hand to determine where you can play a card. When you play a card to a kingdom, then you get to uh, basically claim a territory within that kingdom. And ultimately, what you're trying to do is get majority in as many of the kingdoms as you can, because uh, at the end of each round, then points are awarded based on how well you basically did in each kingdom. Okay. Uh, And it takes place over three rounds, and uh, each round uh, you have uh, a, a... influence cube that you have the opportunity to sort of graduate to a council area. So this gives you a little, little bit of carryover into the next round. So in one of the kingdoms, each round, you'll start to build up uh, a little bit of um, added influence and that can sort of help with your long-term strategy. So that's, that's sort of it in a nutshell. What's the, I mean, what's the feedback you've had so far kind of like, you know, from kind of reviewers and previewers, it seems to have all been like very positive. Um, yeah, everything's been super positive, and I think um, you know it, it. Sort of, it seems to be falling in you know to that type of game, like I said, that non gamers can play and appreciate, but that hobby gamers 
also um, are going to enjoy because it, it's a really low barrier in terms of rules and um, sort of the uh, explanation and getting it to the table, but it has that strategy that uh, hobby gamers can enjoy. So I'd sort of equate it to like a game like, you know, like a Splendor mm-hmm. or Lanterns or World's, World's Fair, those kind of games that are like, you can play, you can set up, you can teach it and play it in under an hour and you feel like you've actually played a game that you had to use. No, I think brain. that's important nowadays. I think there's a lot of games, well, I know of a lot of them, even myself, that I'm guilty for, my f- you know, friends that are guilty for, that we've all got games kind of sitting on the shelf. And one of the reasons that we end up keeping them on the shelf is because the, access- the accessibility to get the game learned and to even get the game played takes a good hour hour and a half to kind of get to that point you know and, and yeah oh yeah i yeah and uh, nowadays when you're kind of like your time you know you can be time poor and you know you've got maybe a couple of times a week or it can be for some people a couple of times a month or you know their game time could be quite you know quite less some people have the luxury of playing you know three or four times a week other people have less time but if you know, you know, not being able to get a game, I don't think there's anything more frustrating than kind of like, let's play this tonight. And then you manage to learn the rules, get through a couple of rounds, and then it's pack up time. And then you realize if you've got to play it again, you've got to set everything up and kind of put it all out. So again, it's like it's, you kind of fall into this nice kind of level of you knowing that you're going to get a game played, you know, um, which is always kind of uh kind of exciting and also satisfying as well. I don't think there's anything more kind of frustrating than going, yeah, we know how to play this and it's time to go home. Kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. I've been Unless there. it's Treasure Island, which we played the last time that we were a club, it took longer to set up than to play because <laughs> I don't know if you've played it, but it's like the hidden kind of find the treasure game. And we kind of got the first two clues up and the first two clues came up and they kind of worked in such a way that it was like somebody just went, is the treasure here? And <laughs> Colin, Colin went, yeah, that's, yes, it is. And then that was it. It was like the second, <laughs> the second go. And we stood around and went, do we play it again? And it's like, I have, I, I, I don't know. It's really close to kind of, Pack up. It was good fun. It was kind of, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's one of these games where you get to, so one of you plays like a, the, the head of the pirates and the other one plays like the guys that drive treasure hunter. And you basically get clues and you actually write on the board because it's like a dry, my, uh, dry wipe marker board. So you get to kind of like draw over your little laminated board map of where you think the treasure is. And it was just absolutely hilarious because he just went, is it there? No. Yeah, it is. And he went, taking me. <laughs> He separated all the components out, he was handing them out, goes, make sure you've got this, make sure you've got that, make sure you've got this. So it's like, it was 20 minutes to set up the game, and then it was like five minutes to play it. And everybody kind of laughed at the time, and everybody went, oh, this could have gone a little bit longer. It's not that. <laughs> yeah. But on the same time, I've done that with Scythe. I remember kind of having to set up Scythe and play that, and then realised we kind of got into round number five, and then had to pack up before we were even fully through the game. So we've kind of been there and kind of done that. Um, with the games that you're doing, is there a big box game from Mister Aramini? Are we getting? Are we going to be getting the huge fifty-two thousand miniatures? You know, 
electronic, <laughs> you know, glue. Is there I a don't... gloom haven <laughs> within you? <clears throat> There's probably not a gloom haven on the horizon yeah. anytime soon. Um, this is actually the first. Uh, so this is like the eighth mm. game I've come out with, and this is the first game that actually has a board. Every other game's been just card card based. So this is my this big is box good. game as of my <laughs> moment in where I'm at. But um, yeah, I'm kind of tinkering around with uh, sort of a little bit more complex mm. systems, which sort of and you know get into um, you know longer, more components, that kind of stuff. But it's it's you know the the more complicated the, the just the harder it is to design i'm finding so i you know right now with my where i'm at in my sort of design career it's it seems like yeah simpler more streamlined games i, I mm-hmm. seem to have more success with and but i'm trying i i'm i'm kind of branching out there and seeing seeing how it goes and you know it's it's uh we'll see what happens maybe maybe down the road Maybe I'll I'll have my Gloomhaven someday, but right now it's uh it's it's still they're fairly uh, most of the games that I'm doing are like kind of that within one hour and not too many. Yeah, which parts. means it's gonna again it comes back to that thing: is that do you want to do? Do you have to do a Gloomhaven? Do you have to have the big game? What's wrong with having continually producing games that you know people are going to get to the table and play? You know. Yeah, well, and I, I, you know, just in terms of my experience, I, I think it's if you're a, a newer designer or a designer trying to break into the industry like me, I, I do feel like smaller games or games that are a little bit more mm-hmm. approachable are probably an easier easier sell in terms of getting the game signed. You know, there's there's not many publishers that can take on you know, 500 miniatures and a $200 game, you know, if, if you're not an established designer. So just from a practicality yeah. standpoint, I'm trying to sort, sort of be realistic in terms of, okay, if I, if I want to, um, this game to sort of get out there in the wild, you know, try, trying to keep it streamlined is, is probably in my best interest too. But, but also I think it's just inherently, those are the types of games I like too. And just increasing your odds of winning as well, to use a horrific gambling <laughs> expression. <laughs> um, I mean, what we'll do is we'll make sure, obviously, that the link to the Kickstarter goes in the show notes um, so that we have kind of notes to show everybody. But if people want to keep an eye about uh, on you on the internet webs, where can we find you on the internet web, Stephen? I am just uh, at Stephen Aramini, uh, S-T-E-V-E-N-A-R-A-M-I-N-I, um, at, uh, on Twitter, uh, and then the same same handle on Board Game Geek. Those are, if you reach out to me there, that's where, you're, where you'll find me, but most active on Twitter, and I mostly just kind of, kind of tweet about my game design and um, just game experience type stuff so if you're into that then uh definitely check awesome. it out excellent um and what we'll do as i say we'll make sure we we stick that into the show notes so that everybody can everybody can follow you whether you want them to or not i guess <laughs> it's one of these things um and as i say we'll also um make sure that the kickstarter link is there as well 
Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, you know where to find us. Come on. 230-odd episodes. If you don't know now, however, if you've not been listening to us before, then uh, thank you for listening. But you can find us on various parts on the internet, where, uh, internets, webs, whatever. Go to Twitter, We're Not Wizards. Facebook, We're Not Wizards. You go to Instagram, We're Not Wizards. Um, apparently Facebook's turning this all into one thing anyway, so it's all just going to be We're Not Wizards regardless of where we are. You can find us on YouTube, which is We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. You can find us on um, all the podcast catchers as well, which is Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast. And you can go into our website, which is we'renotwizards.com, or our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com. Or you can email us, which is magic at we'renotwizards. We're just everywhere. It's just we're like a disease. You know, we're the we're the pandemic legacy of the podcast world everywhere. Um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, there's two things you can do. Tell somebody about it. And the second thing is, if you jump onto Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating or a review. Um, we say, as always, um, don't give us 10 stars, because it makes us big-headed. But at the same time, don't give us one, because it makes us cry. And we're not getting any younger, so we are very ugly when we cry. Um, give us a five, because it's in the middle, and it's a bit average. Um, we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average... Is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. Mr. Stephen Aramini, thank you very much, sir, for coming on. It's been thank you for having me. There is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Stephen? We're and not wizards. The next thing is <laughs> to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Stephen. Say goodbye, Stephen. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll6s.com. And there's only a couple of days to go on Animal Kingdoms. So, um, you know, you know, we like Carla a lot. So, you know, and this is another way to kind of make sure that fantastic games, you know, are getting to people's tables as well. So, check out the link in the show notes. Check out the campaigns. Check out the artwork because it's absolutely fantastic. The game looks like an awful lot of fun. Just, you know, go and have a look. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.